0: Morning, everyone. This is Kathy Mason from Mason Works Marketing here on Conscious Business Zone with my new friend, Kim Pemberthy. I hope I said that right. And Kim is an amazing uh, um uh, let's see, source for information and and uh, clinical research on many things of the uh, the unseen worlds and the extraordinary out-of-body, mind-body connection. Um, she's the a, the uh, Chester F. Carlson Professor of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences at the University of Virginia School of Medicine, which is part of the Division of Perceptual Studies, which I want to hear all about. And um, I, I'm so excited because she's, she's, really she's a a leadership in so many areas she's um interested in near-death experiences out-of-body experience after death communications but she's also the president of uh, the society for clinical psychology and she's a former chair of the american psychological association for Clinical Psychology Diversity Committee, and a fellow in the APA Leadership Institute for Women in Psychology. Wow, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. And an author. So, so welcome, Kim. I can't wait to hear and learn more about what you know that we want to know. So well, welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Kathy. And and it's you said the name correctly, it's Penzi. <laughs> it's a, a good uh, Cornish name so if you're from the uk you would recognize it right away yeah (laughs) good i
0: I always get intimidated by last names it seems like i don't mess up the first name but but that is that is the hardest job about this doing this uh show i'm
1: sure oh believe me yeah yeah Yeah.
0: Yes. So, so Kim, tell us a little bit about your journey, because you must have had some experience that got your curiosity going to make
1: you dive deep into all of this. Do you want to share a little bit with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I will first say I am a clinical psychologist, as as um, you've mentioned, Kathy, and I started my career really Uh, looking at how to help people, um, this sort of concern that most young people have when they go to college and graduate school and and go into psychology. And it has been all along informed by some of the unique experiences that I had as a young person, which um, sort of opened my eyes to this idea that we um, in the scientific world might not know Um, everything that's uh, out there. And and I will give an example of my parents and and really, I I have to in in all on all honesty, thank them for creating uh, a crucible for me to grow up in that really promoted um, a a strong foot in science and one also in sort of this understanding of what's beyond science in the supernatural. And a real quick example uh, was as a child, I was very curious, asking questions all the time of my mother and father. My father was a cardiothoracic surgeon, very, very grounded in science. My mother was a nurse, and she had worked a lot with dying patients and she probably would have been a Wiccan if she knew what that was. She loved the earth. Uh, We were very connected living on a farm uh, to the earth. Anyway, I asked them both some pretty challenging questions as a child i uh, asked them separately i asked my father um, in my curiosity what is the what is the purpose of life uh-huh. and and you know without a without a uh, drop in a beat he answered he said well that's easy and he, i said really this is great he said yeah it's to reproduce Oh, my gosh, So that was a very scientific, you know, and and that's what life does. That's our purpose when we're, you know, Uh, I asked the same question of my mother. And again, she surprised me by saying, oh, that's easy. And she said, it's love. So growing up, I had these concepts that both were true. It was both. And I, of course, as you can imagine, also asked about the other end of spectrum. And later on asked my father, well, what happens when you die? And he said, well, that's very easy. And he proceeded to explain to me, you know, the decomposition of the body and all of that scientifically, probably more than I needed to know at that age. (laughs) Um, So I had that understanding, the body dies and here's what happens. I asked my mother the same question. You know what happens when we die where do we go and and she said again it's easy we return to love this was her concept which i took and and made my own as we return to this consciousness of love which is which is all that exists um you can call it god the creator the universe um it has many different names and so from an early age I was able to hold that both of these could be true Two people I considered authorities, intelligent, loving people who wanted me, would never lie to me. You know, I, I, I got very different answers and I incorporated both of them. And so in my clinical psychology studies, I did very, what may be called traditional mainstream work, um, focusing in in developing treatments for people with chronic depression, with uh, addiction problems. These usually were co-occurring in the populations I worked with. Later in my career, I was fortunate enough to begin to work with oncology patients um, in the cancer center at the university and um, have worked for many years with people who are dying, their family members, and really helping them uh, approach death in the most constructive way that they can. And um, I've published in very mainstream areas with respect to these sorts of things, a book on persistent depressive disorders, um, that sort of thing. I also noticed in my work that um, contemplative practices were incredibly important. And um, I began incorporating more mindfulness-based interventions, uh, studying meditation and these altered states of consciousness and about uh, a little over a decade ago got involved with um, the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. And, and and this is an organization that is embedded in the School of Medicine at the University of Virginia and has been around over 50 years. It was um, um, started in uh, 1967, I believe, by Ian Stevenson, Dr. Ian Stevenson, who was the chair at the time. And that's the location where I do most of my research now, and um, and have have found that having a foot in in both worlds has been really advantageous because I can I can cross if you will. And um, the most recent book I wrote with my daughter, who's 27, is an example of of how we sort of bridge that uh, the the sort of what might be called mainstream science of psychology and uh and contemplative practices and these other areas so that maybe a reader who um might not pick up a book on near-death experiences they might pick up my book and and be exposed to some of that if if you see what i mean
0: yeah yeah well Uh, i think what we're coming into right now is a a reuniting of spirituality mm -hmm. and science and that's what um, you're talking about. You're a bridge to both worlds. And, and do you find that, um, that it, it's been hard to, I mean, you said you worked with on a, on oncology um, cancer patients. Um, have, was it hard with your, with your compassion to work or could you keep your scientific mind on everything?
1: I think, you know, it's an interesting question. And I I see that asked a lot of of people who work with cancer patients. And I will say that I think I am able to do that work and have done it for so long uh, because I know that what I can offer is help. And um, I cannot I cannot eliminate the fact that they have cancer and often uh, the people I work with are actively dying. And yet I can help them approach that and their families approach that in a way that is going to be um, not as miserable, I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As as we anyone who's, you know, lived through the death of someone they know or love knows that um, it's, uh, it's, it's a journey and it can people can have a, a good death or a very bad death, and uh, I I really am working in in that case with people, um, and in my writings to really help people have a what we would call a good death.
0: I, I understand. Well, um, so you're um, the, I'm just fascinated with all the research that you've done. Um, you have um. You're involved in an international level conducting research and consulting with the Center for Consciousness Research, which sounds fascinating, and the Scientific and Medical Network, as well as IONS um could you talk a little bit about these the connecting of these i mean are you seeing i am curious how iron stacks up anyway but um (laughs) because i've been a volunteer for six years yeah But, but i'm i'm curious about how um each how traditional or how um um how clinical, I guess I would say in the research that each one of them are, or if there's a lot of difference. And the next question is about being a woman doing all of this. If it's, if it's highly, um, dominated by men, or if there's, there's a lot of (laughs) us.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I think it's a really good question. I am part of organizations, um, that, are, as you say, increasingly sort of looking at this idea of spirituality and and clinical uh, psychology and mental health. And IONS is right up there with some of the best doing, you know, work that is really meaningful that and answering that question I, I, um, I pose every time I look at research, I look at the so what question so we might find that things are happening we may be able to document it like i I research after death communications and um we can collect data about it talk about the frequency what kind they are all of these things and i also really feel that it's important to say how does this affect people the same with near-death experiences out-of-body experiences um, any kind of mystical experience it is important to accumulate knowledge about it. And yet for me as a clinician, as a human, I feel it's also important to say, how does that impact us? How does this, how does this change things? Do people feel better? Are they um, able to grieve their loved one? Are they able to move on with their life? That sort of thing. And, and that's where I see, you know, my clinical work, um, and the personal stories I hear really tying to the research. And, and I think I have found the research to be strong in all of these organizations. Obviously, some of them are like IONs and in, invested in research and the personal stories, which I think is a really beautiful combination. Um, I will have to say in other organizations I'm part of, I'm part of division 36, which is, uh, Uh, Religion and Spirituality in Psychology. It's part of the American Psychological Association. And um, they're putting out more information about this um, and publishing more um, in this arena, even on after-death communication, on uh, the importance of clinicians to understand how to work with spirituality. the idea that as clinicians, when someone discloses to us about an after death communication or a near death experience, we need to be trained on how to receive that and, and what to do with that therapeutically. Um, and more and more that is happening, which is so exciting for me to see.
0: That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, um, I, I've gotten the, I've. I've been lucky enough to interview Peter Panagor, okay. Reverend Peter Panagor several times. And he says that there's going to be a huge mystical awakening. And he got this from someone, a German philosopher or mystic, mm-hmm. that said that all of the people that have been resuscitated in the past 40 years all had a mystical experience that either they may have stuffed down or that um they uh, attributed it to drugs right right. some other uh, altered state and they didn't take it seriously but he says that this change that we're going through right now is going to be the tipping point Have you heard anything like that? Where if if you think the past forty years, how everyone right away when they went into the hospital, it was automatic. Tried to bring them back. Um, What what do you think about that?
1: Oh, I think that's quite feasible. I mean, I think um, we we have we are seeing a shift, and um, you know, for me, I work more in the in the world of the data and. What's really interesting is I think it was just yesterday, uh, the Pew Research Center came out with um, a report on, uh, of all things, people who've had contact with deceased relatives. Um, And I don't know that we would have ever seen this in the past. Um, And they found that 44% of Americans, 44% reported having one in the past year. Oh, and it so was, even higher. I think it was 53% reported at some point in their lifetime. And, and, and that is, you know, half of our population wow. almost in one year and certainly half in their lifetime. And they're openly talking about this. So, and my suspicion is it may be even higher than that because we know predominantly women are reporting this. They seem to be more open to it. Uh, we don't know if they're just more receptive to it, or if they're willing to share. Um, and I think you know that that is sort of a turning point um, that that we keep seeing signaling. You know, the younger people are much more open to this. We keep in every study we see, we keep seeing that people endorse less religion like they, they say they're not as religious and yet they endorse more spirituality. And I think we need to dig deeper there and sort of see what what do they mean by that um, and And so you know, it it is really it feels to me like um, that there's data to support what what you're saying and um, it's really exciting because, I think the world really needs it right now.
0: Oh, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Where, where one of um, during the lockdown, one of the um, online uh, events for IONS, which is the International Association for Near Death Studies for those that can't understand my speaking my accent <laughs> well no sometimes people go ions which is yeah. i o n s. No, nope it's i and right um, anyway what um what what we have we have um really focused on you don't really die you're not alone and what what's so exciting is that you're coming up with proof of that which is um It's very amazing. Now, do you know anything about Sonia Rinaldi? No. Okay, Sonia Rinaldi is a, um, I think she's from Argentina or Brazil. And she is a researcher and has, um, she has uh, helped, I don't know, thousands of people, women and parents actually try to contact with their past
1: children. Yes, I have heard of that. Yeah. Uh, Yes.
0: And she does sound. So she has it set up that they can actually speak to her. Mm -hmm. Um, She has a device that has syllables in it. And from the other side, they can Mm -hmm. activate it as well as she's now doing these images that come out very clear it's quite remarkable. And then um, uh, she has a documentary called Rinaldi, if mm-hmm. you want to see it. And then um, there's also a, a device that's in production called the soul phone mm-hmm. that, that is a device that is a way to actually call somebody up from the other side. So these things are real. They're not science fiction technology is um, really helping bridge the gap that maybe our minds can't even capture.
1: And again, you know, I am a clinician. And so I focus on the impact on the individual and, and I have seen this help people with their grieving when they are, um, you know in in a place and uh, that that they've lost a loved one we are working now on looking at some data that was funded by a be all research uh grant um given to some of my colleagues um david lormer Callum cooper chris Rowe, uh, evelyn elsier um, and th- the data is about people who report after death communications we broke it down into uh, those who reported encounters with deceased partners or spouses, because we know it happens at higher rates there. And um, really, it, it's just profound, the impact that these communications have. Um, they seem to be almost overwhelmingly positive for the individual who experiences them. And um, the influence is, uh, is is really profound on on impacting their grief their ability to um you know they don't necessarily for you know the goal is not to forget the person and move on it's it's more about understanding that maybe there's still a connection and and certainly what we see in the data is that people enforce <coughs> that this is a very um very positive um, and what was brought up in the the pew research and we found the same Um, which was interesting is that it seems to happen in people who also report that they are sort of moderately religious. So not so much in the very, very, very uh, people who endorse very, very, very very religious or not religious at all. Um, And so that's sort of an interesting component as well um, that we want to explore a little further. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, and, and that's what it's so interesting, the, the research that, Shows all these different near-death experiences. Um, uh, PMH Atwater wrote a book. I think it's called "The Bible of um, of Near-Death Experiences," and um, she's told me in a in an interview that um, she gave the copyright to Ion's as a fundraiser. Yeah. And it's like this big old phone book. <laughs> yeah, book yeah. Where yeah. She's categorized different types. and and i find it fascinating what i find fascinating because i haven't had a near-death experience but i've had spiritually transformative experiences Mm -hmm. is that the articulation of it at first people don't say anything because they're afraid of the ramifications Mm -hmm. of of letting people know that but the integration of that different view of life Mm -hmm. is quite difficult without processing So have you found that that's what your, your focus is a lot on, on how to assist these people to integrate that spiritual experience and, um, and embrace it rather than discard it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because what I have found is most people embrace it. You don't have to, they're not rejecting it typically it's more that they are a bit cautious in disclosing. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they may have disclosed and, and, and really been shut down or made fun of, or, or told that that's, you know, someone's tried to explain it to them in a different way. And, and so, uh, and some people are are fearful of that, and and think, well, that I won't share because that I may be judged this way. Right. So that's what I find is more common. Often, when people have disclosed either in in my professional work with them, you know, clinically or through a research study, they often tell me, you know, I, you're the first person I've ever told this. Yeah. Um, and and so I think trying to normalize it, trying to get it out in the media, um, that you know, even, even if we don't know how to explain it. And and that's, you know, I'm not saying I understand it. Um, I think it's important to say it is happening. And I I will tell you a really meaningful story for for me was I was giving more of a public lecture. So I do a lot of professional lectures, I think it's really important for researchers to also present to the community. So this was a community presentation on after-death communications and an introduction to DOPS in general to the Division of Perceptual Studies. Um, And during the question and answer segment, um, a woman who was there alone stood up and she was in tears. And she said, thank you so much for sharing these stories. Because I thought I was going crazy. Yeah, she had been receiving what she perceived were communications from her deceased husband, and not shared them. Didn't know what was going on, and and to me that is a shame. If if we are not getting our word out there enough to to let people understand, um, this is this seems to be as best we can tell a natural part of 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 life, of being human. Yeah. And and whether we can explain it or not, it seems that you know a good majority of us are, or at least half of us by the Pew research, are having these experiences. And 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 we need to know that. Um, and that, that most of them are very positive and reassuring. And and there are the occasional ones that are are not. What I have typically found is, at least in my experience, many of those unpleasant experiences are simply because the person, it it doesn't have a context within which to put this. Right. So like this woman, they think they're crazy. They're afraid to tell anyone. uh, They might think they're losing their mind. Something's going on. And so um, I think just being able to spread the word that this is more common than one might think. And it's okay to talk about it. Um, and training our clinicians, our medical doctors, our counselors, how to handle this when, when um, it does happen. And it, at our division, we're really actively doing that. Uh, researcher Marietta Pelivanova is actively sort of engaging our doctors um, the ones that might, you know, cardiologists, surgeons, the ones who may be more likely to encounter people with near-death experiences, and explaining to them about that. I think we need to do the same with after-death communications. So I've been really trying to educate people in our oncology uh, program, um, newer doctors as they come through their training. I think it's so important. Um, and I realized you, you had asked a question about being a woman in this research, um, when I when I joined OPS, I was the only female uh, <laughs> faculty member, and uh, and the first I think in in like their history. Uh, we now I am proud to say have uh, have there are three of us, so okay. we're we're growing, um, and I think that that is uh, is is a positive thing. Um, I think the research that's been done to date is really strong and excellent. And I think having um, having females join adds it's adds another dimension, you know. Um, right. and uh, And I'm happy to say that that's that's expanding.
0: So you're saying that um the and, and this is wonderful, thank you. And I was cheering in the background. Um, <laughs> because I was in corporate America before I started my oh, yeah. and I, I know what that means. Yeah. Um, so um it's not lip service, but it it is you have to be smarter mm-hmm. than everyone else. Um, (laughs) um, do you, are you familiar with doctor, um, or or, she was Colonel, uh, Diane, um, Corcoran, who was a past president of IONS? Are you familiar with her? I'm not. Well, she passed this year and there'll be a memorial for her Mm -hmm. at the event, but she was a nurse in the army in Vietnam. Wow. And she, she was exposed for the first time to, um, People, young men coming in and having near-death experiences, mm-hmm. and she was convinced. So it's it, so this is starting to feed into the medical um, uh, industry and psychology and um, psychiatry, where um, she was saying that a lot of the PTSD um, designations that are given to people are mm-hmm. misdiagnosed. And they really had near-death experiences, and she attributed a lot of the military veteran suicides to being
1: misdiagnosed. Have you heard anything about that? Wow, I I have not. It it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think, in that case, the diagnosis, um, you know, again with the reluctance to share or the sort of inability to really describe um and um and then not not being supported you know not not having that elicited in a supportive way um could it could further traumatize uh uh uh, anyone who who goes through that experience for sure
0: they come back as different people they go in especially in the military they go in as my joe you know gonna Mm -hmm. go in fight everybody and they come back in love with everything and yeah. so their spiritual inclination is almost um it's it's so strange to their wives their family Um mm-hmm. because it's not the same person they knew mm-hmm. and so it causes all sorts of unrest in in the relationships so they're even more um abandoned, if you want to say, and then if she said, if they, they were diagnosed and given the drugs that are usually given to PTSD, that that was the exact wrong,
1: um, diagnosis. I mean, it's, it's so challenging, uh, because of course you could be diagnosed with both, you know, you can have active PTSD and have had a near death experience. Um, and it would be very important to sort of tease that out, uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so that was her thing. And um, in many
0: um, past IONS uh, uh, events at our conferences, um, uh, they've held classes teaching nurses mm-hmm. about near-death experiences so that they knew what it was, they could identify it, I think and that's- they could help support. So I think your work goes hand in hand. I'd be glad to introduce you to some of the people that are carrying that
1: forward when we're there next week i would love that i would love that i think it's it goes right to the core of my message that we need to spread this um so to increase awareness so that again we don't have widows experiencing things alone feeling like they're going crazy so they know there is a community and and that's what i do with all these folks is really help educate them and point them in the direction where they can get resources like IONS uh, and, and, you know, and realize they're not alone right. um, because that is what's going to help them as well. You know, it, it's um, it's so important. And um, it's I'm so grateful for the work that IANS does.
0: Well, I, I also wanted to ask about spirituality versus religion. Because um, I, I, religion usually has the construct where you go through an intermediary to get to your mystical relationship with God. And, and most religions have that. And then the spirituality is, is direct in my, in my knowing is a direct connection to source God which may be almost like a sixth sense Mm -hmm. where you you have a whole different it's almost like an expanded view of reality and how how because you're in the you you have a lot of experience with these two (laughs) integrating these two concepts and i'm wondering how how does that work or do i have the wrong idea
1: I, you know, it's, it's a really, we could do a, you know, several hour podcast <laughs> on this and, and I think it, you're right. Some religions, there is a, a intermediary, certainly uh, something like uh, the Catholic priest that's uh, sort of in between you and God. Um, some religions were developed specifically to avoid that intermediary. Um, so i think of john wesley and uh martin luther and people like that and i think the way i've conceived it and seen it sort of on the ground in the people i'm interacting with uh the patients and the research participants i would i would have to say that what i see is people feeling less affiliated with a formal religion Ah. so they are not attending a church, they're not tithing to a church. Uh, They may go, you know, to Catholic Mass at Christmas, or they might go to their Protestant church for Easter. That's sort of it. They don't feel that connected. Uh, They're not in a community. They would call themselves spiritual, because they still have a belief system in something bigger than themselves. So these are people who may say yes, I believe in science. I am also spiritual. And my spirituality sort of is right there alongside my belief in in the scientific method. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not agnostic necessarily. They're not atheist, they would call themselves spiritual. Um, And many of them again thinking of the people i've interacted with with my participants and research studies my patients um have you know are familiar with a formal a formalized religion and may have been brought up that way um they're not participating in that now i see however that does sometimes inform their spirituality sometimes their spirituality is is sort of their own what they've developed on their own in their belief system sometimes it's through the use of meditation, mindfulness um, practices, other contemplative practices. Increasingly, I see people accessing that spirituality and their connection with it through uh, psychedelic drugs, uh, sort of consciousness altering drugs that are are more and more accessible. Um, So, you know, we need a study that really helps us explore what exactly people mean by that, because what I've given you is my observation. It is by no means a, a, a you know a published study um, with data. So um, I, I think it's a really good question because more and more we do see when people are asked that they're endorsing spirituality and not necessarily being religious. Right. Right. Yeah. Well-
0: right i think we're in a very interesting time where you're everyone's questioning um what's true and um i call it the inverted matrix where um the truth is intermixed with falsehood so you're trying to sort it out and um so i just wondered about the you know uh, the lockdown caused people to really consider that this uh, invisible enemy could end their days here, and you know what did they really care about, and what was really um, the purpose of being here? And it may have caused a lot of people to um, clean up <laughs> the, mm-hmm. their stuff a lot. Um, but but I'm wondering what what you think about the difference between in your studies about out of body experience. Mm-hmm and uh, near death. And um, basically this, the meditation, I mean, there, there's, there's so many different aspects, because there's, um, you, you said about someone's point of view, I believe there's 8 billion different <laughs> points of view. And I think that's what consciousness wanted. Yeah, it's a giant database in the in the cosmos. And it's hoping that each one of us does our part of bring in data yeah um, it's, so it's a giant computer or something but but um could you talk about out of body experiences or some of those paranormal or i don't know what you do you call that paranormal or
1: well you, you know it? It, it, it's interesting and we we've recently hired um a, a researcher a female researcher who's specializing in out-of-body experiences wow. And uh, she has a big study that she's running in Brazil because in that um, culture, it is much more common and uh, people actually go to schools where they can learn to do this. Um, many people in America don't know that. So it's it's really interesting. Some cultures are different than ours and much more accepting of this. Um, and, okay. and she's looking at it in a very scientific way. Uh, are Really looking at what is happening in the brain, what are people reporting, and these are people that can do this volitionally, so they can do it, uh, you know, on their own in a research lab setting. Um, so we'll see. She's just starting that research. Um, I, what I think is interesting about the out-of-body experience is it's a it's a beautiful example of of um, how we are not our bodies how whatever we call we our consciousness our soul our personality it 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 exists outside of this package and and that the out-of-body experience i mean think about it you can access it through a near-death experience you can access it um accidentally you know Uh um like coming out of sleep or something you can access it through deep meditation you can access it um in, in, uh, psychedelic drugs, um, pretty routinely, I mean, routinely. So we have this ability, um, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, uh, whether you believe in it or not, it's happening. People are reporting it. And, um, so, you know, studying it only in near death experiences. Yes, it's, it's affiliated with that, but that's challenging because of course you can't, you know, that's a little more difficult to, um, study you can't um randomize and and have people you know have a near-death experience or anything um so i think um my my colleague her name's marina wheeler and she's on to something with you know exploring people who can do this on purpose in a controlled way and really exploring what is exactly happening um and studying that a little more more distinctly um I think that's gonna be a, an enormous line of research in the future to help us better understand that relationship between our physical body and whatever is happening when we have this out-of-body experience.
0: Right, well, I, I believe that only part of the giant you is in this physical body. So, so it, 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 I think a lot of highly sensitive people like me or out a lot (laughs) Yeah, you
1: may be right yeah yeah yeah
0: Yeah, it's it's but i think it's time now to be in (laughs) Um, i do want to ask you about the um the concept about using these uh microdosing of drugs um i did publish a book by daniel mcqueen that uh, was called psychedelic cannabis and he is a psychologist or psychiatrist he is he has the certifications, and he created a sitter school here okay. in Boulder, Colorado, where he trains people. And the reason why he was using cannabis is that um, if people have somatic experiences, they can use CBD to reduce the intensity of the drug, um, so that they don't have discomfort or they don't um, they don't have a lot of problems afterwards. Yeah but I'm seeing it tr- being trendy for the micro dosing. And, you know, this is a, a 40 year olds on down that um, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but it, it kind of concerns me. I mean, um, I don't, I don't know. Like what, what do you think about the, the micro dosing and the use of psychedelics mushrooms or people who are using mushrooms every day?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, and, and I'm certainly not an expert um, in that arena. I did come uh, through through the the, um, uh, the 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 program that they have there, uh, the Integrated Psychiatric Institute uh, out of uh, Boulder, uh-huh. I, I did the 10 month uh, course on becoming a psychedelic assisted psychotherapist. Okay,
0: so you know what I'm talking uh, about?
1: Because of so many of my patients are asking for it, you know, and um or asking about it and um i was really made acutely aware of of the concerns you're talking about when i was out there in boulder for for some of this training and my uber driver or lyft driver um you know uh was talking to me from the airport to my hotel and asked about what i was there for i told them and they immediately say oh can you get me some good stuff oh no you know, and and so he went on to explain the you know the abuse of ketamine, of mushrooms uh, or other you know, and and I think really we have to remember that what we've discovered is not new. Number one, people have been using mind altering substances since you know way way before uh, us, uh, way back to the Greeks and Romans and. Um, And, and it was always in the context of, you know, of a very supported, integrated, sort of cultural belief system. And, and, and so what we're doing is, you know, and I, I, not that I dismiss all psychedelic use, I think it can be very therapeutic in the right approach. Um, I do think we run the risk though, when we pull it out of a, of a, a context, a cultural context, a spiritual context, and, and um, make it available to people, there is always the risk for uh, abuse. Uh, Having worked for many years in addiction, I see that. And um, so I think we just have to proceed with caution. And what I would love to see is, is um, a culture that continues to support this idea of contemplative practices of what what are we trying to reach? We're trying to reach this other way of understanding, um, this sort of view that we obtain when we have a near death experience, or we meditate for a long time um, and learn strategies to sort of alter our consciousness. Um, we know that that can be a very beneficial thing for ourselves, our health, our well being. Uh, for the people around us, including the planet, uh, other, other sentient creatures we're much, you know, the research shows over and over again. Um, and I am also aware, you know, on the flip side that some people may not be able to get to that state of consciousness without a psychedelic. Um, in my training that become apparent to me, you know, I I went in sort of skeptical, like, um having done meditation for so long and doing meditation research i was thinking well we can achieve the same state through meditation through yogic practices holotropic breathing and yes we we can and i think um the researchers and clinicians in the in that program and 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 in in the field of psychedelic research in general have helped me see that maybe there are people that um, can't can't use those tools and and successfully access that altered state of consciousness, and that for them, these uh, sort of careful use of psychedelics may be helpful. Right. Um, and again, in a structured approach, um, not sort of on their own, you know, doing it um, every day. Um I think the research that the most recent research I actually read about microdosing was that it really didn't seem to have an impact. Um there may be more current data now. Um so that's you know I think it's very complicated um and I I I very rarely like to you know I I like my foot in both camps and very rarely is the the answer so clean cut. Uh, right right yeah.
0: Well, well I, I just want to urge people that are listening that if you are interested in going deep like this, to have a professional uh, assist you. the The ancient uh, cultures had a shaman that um, guided them through these kind of plant medicine um, trips, and and uh, there it's shadow work. So it's it's. Uh, it's something that you would want assistance
1: and not left to your own. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my god! Absolutely. Goodness. In most cultures, there is a it it is a very big buildup, a long preparation, sometimes a year long preparation, um, and and deep work uh, and support from those who understand. You know, going through this. So this is just one piece of it. Um, and certainly, yes, I would completely agree with you that this is not something to be taken lightly or to do on your own or as a way to party. Uh, <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm, no. yeah. well, I,
0: I don't want to sound like my parents, like that's what people were saying about marijuana back in the past. But I mean, Colorado has even legalized, I think, psilocybin mushrooms now mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. And I created the marijuana created a whole nother industry to actually um, uh, to the medical marijuana industry as a pain relief, um, created a way to actually um, categorize and, and um, figure out dosages. So, so that's all, you know, it's all progress, but it's also can be Everything's a two-edged sword on all of this, so yeah. I just wondered, and I wondered if there was any study about the out-of-body work with this assistance from the um, psychedelics. If if that had been the case, but but I don't I don't want to really go there either because um, mm-hmm. I don't have experience. I don't I don't really have experience, but I do think that it is time for all of us to. Um, look at our projections that we project on others as we're <laughs> learning about uh, uh, the way to live in the world in a peaceful, loving world, mm. then uh, so much of, of what we see in others that we don't like is really part of us. Right. we think we're hiding it from everyone else, but oops.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. so,
0: so have you seen positive things happen in the past uh, three years with with um, your work and with after the lockdown?
1: Oh, gosh, yeah, I've um, you know, there's there's a huge opportunity, I think, to work with people after this lockdown. Um, One of the things that came to mind for me immediately was um, so many people died um, unexpectedly um, sometimes pretty uh, dramatically and quickly and and left behind uh, there's estimates that for every person that died from covid there are at least nine people grieving that person wow and and so um the the work that we're doing the work that ions is doing is so important because we just had a mass experience of loss. And 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 we have, you know, a huge number of people worldwide grieving. Um, and that always existed. It was just sort of highlighted by COVID. Uh, so to me, the work we're doing was just underscored as how important it is, how many more people now may have the potential for an after death communication uh, how many of our COVID victims had near death experiences um, and are still alive to tell about it? Um, how many shared death experiences, which we haven't talked about, were there? Um, people impacted that way, people trying to deal with their grief. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that we saw an increase in in some of these um, usage and the... Um, sort of the the legislation on on psychedelics uh, as that grows and expands and and we're living in an area uh an era sorry not an area uh of 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 potentially increased fear and also potentially increased um wisdom and and insight and expansion oh, and right. and i i think if we can tilt towards that We've we've got a really a really good chance of 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 large massive shifts happening for the positive. Mm-hmm.
0: I I agree. I think that uh, our use of the internet is training wheels for being telepathic, mm-hmm. and for us to be telepathic, we have to clean up our stuff because that's <laughs> that's the first right. step. And uh, I know in some of the ancient um, a- ancient myths, they talked about two earths where some people will um, be in 5D earth and 3D earth, but um, we're still, everyone gets a chance to evolve. So, so I love what you're doing. I love that you're bridging the gap from a, um, a people that are only left brain and only interested <laughs> material world um that they're actually getting to get scientific proof that's different than quantum physics this is a different type of
1: science right 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 and that's the other thing that happened during the pandemic uh i have to say i was fortunate enough that my adult daughter moved back home instead of continuing to live in dc uh in a tiny apartment when she was told to work from home And we were able to write a book uh, about a lot of this. And uh, she has uh, trained in uh, yoga. Uh, She's a yoga instructor. She's done mindfulness practices since she was instructed as a child. Uh, She's in graduate school now for psychology. and and it was a wonderful time to be living together. We had always talked about doing this and we were able to do it and get it published in 2020. So oh, cool. um, I feel fortunate about that. Yeah. Are you gonna show it to us? I can certainly do that. Please? It's right here. So uh, I am a Gen X uh, proudly, Gen X, and my daughter is a millennial. So we decided to, um, write this from both perspectives. So it's living mindfully across the lifespan and intergenerational guide. So that's oh, the, the intergenerational piece. Uh, and, uh, we, we have been asked if this is sort of a magic mushroom, uh, tree. It, <laughs> it's just a beautiful tree. So, uh, no, there's no allusion to that. <laughs> uh, we, we do, however, weave exactly what I was talking about. Um, we weave the science of psychology and yoga, the physiology with uh, then stories, uh, both personal stories and stories from people we've worked with, clients, patients. Um, and it goes really in order of the life cycle. So the first is about um, birth and and youth, and s- sort of things like self-esteem and 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 we give some information about, you know, for instance, did you know? for girls um their self-esteem women girls it is um uh, its highest at age nine. Oh my gosh and drops from there oh my gosh which is just really you know so we talk a lot about what to do about that and and um morgan my daughter has in here um also movements you know so body-based Uh, things that you can do. I give psychological exercises. It's, it's easy to read. And um, the last chapter goes all the way through. So the last chapter is about death and dying. And it's called so, so, uh, so long for now, question mark. And we talk about um, near death experiences, um, fear of death and dying, um, out of body experiences. So throughout, you have the, the the sort of science-based psychology components and you haven't woven into it, here's also science um, with some um, outcomes that you might not have read about and some ideas that you may not have thought about. Um, And it's been very, very well received. We have, interestingly enough, some some people are using it as a textbook. Um, Some, um, I'm doing a book clubs uh, with it. Uh, and so it's it's been really fun to have that, and and truly integrate. I think that's what we need to to access people who may not um, who may not otherwise pick up a book on on near death experiences. They may pick up a book saying, "Oh, I'd like to live mindfully. That that sounds interesting." And lo and behold, they it, it they get it sneaked in. It's like sneaking <laughs> your vegetables in uh, to your dinner, you know i always put carrots in my tomato sauce for that reason.
0: Me too, me too, but not always appreciated, I guess, by my audience. <laughs> I wanted to show, um, last but not least, I wanted to show the IONS uh, conference site because you'll be speaking there coming I up soon. And I um, this is the site. It's conference.ions.org and oops. I did that again, Um, (laughs) second, that keeps happening. Let me do this again. Um, I don't know why my mouse I keep hitting it wrong. But um, actually, let's just talk instead. Um, The ions event is in uh, Virginia, near Washington, DC this year. And it's the biggest conference we've ever had ions is I think on its 42nd year so it's over 40 years of research and amazing camaraderie 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 i can't speak today
1: camaraderie yes
0: Thank you. <laughs> and
1: fellowship, um, but,
0: fellowship right <laughs> but but uh, but the um opportunity to process and learn um learn more about all the opportunities that you have to grow and be a con- contributor to this new era of and turn this boat around mm-hmm. to love and, and peace and kindness, um, but it comes from an inside job, which is what Kim is talking about. Is all of her work is about teaching you how to have your inside job figured out so that you can can participate in a loving way in humanity. Correct.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Loving towards yourself, it's got to start there. And that allows you then to connect. I think when when we realize that interconnectedness, and, and, and I've seen people realize it through all the varieties that we've talked about, these different experiences that happen spontaneously, uh, or a near-death experience, or an after-death communication there is a shift. I mean, it's almost like you see a light bulb going off, uh, over their head that, Oh, there, there's, there's something more. Right. It's that openness. And I think that's where we need to be right now, um, to, to realize, um, the, maybe the scientific approach that we have been indoctrinated to is, is certainly true, but not all that there is. Right. That's perfect. That's perfect.
0: Well, um, what is the best, Place for people to get a hold of you? I know you do have a profile on LinkedIn, but is there another place that you'd like people to connect with you so that they can learn more and, and uh, follow your work?
1: Well, certainly. I, I'm sorry, the phone is ringing and I can't run to get it. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the website with the Division of Perceptual Studies at UVA is really going to be um, one of the best ways to reach out to me. Um, there's someone monitoring that all the time and um, we just the, I think having your audience explore that would be wonderful. There's so much information, not just about me, other other researchers that we have and um, I would just encourage you to explore that site and uh, you know fill out the forms. There are questionnaires if you've had experiences. Um, and I'll be at IANS. I'd, I'd be happy to see anyone there speak with you. I really am looking forward to it.
0: Oh yes, I think you're. Once you go, you're going to want to always go. <laughs> That's what well. I it's
1: been like virtual, uh, partly, you know, virtual, and it's so nice to have things really all in person and yeah. or at least that ability. Yeah.
0: Well, I started six years ago, and I haven't missed one yet even with virtual or not virtual. Awesome. Because once you have this experience of being back at, at home, it almost feels like source. Yeah, there's so many people that have touched the um, their knowing and are trying to live from that knowing yeah. that it's quite a, a group of it's a quite quite an opportunity. So to remember who we really are. So yeah. thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you in person and giving you a hug in person. Oh, yes, but thank I too. you so much. Thank and, you. Um, and I love what you're doing. I can't wait to hear more about it because it really is the time to bridge the gap of uh, science and spirituality now and and make this um, a um, an empowerment
1: um, opportunity mm-hmm. for everyone. I agree. And thank you, Kathy, for the work you're doing.
0: Oh, sure. Sure, sure. You this I can
1: spread the word. You I'm know.
0: learning. I'm learning. Every person I get to talk to, I I learn something new. So thank you, Kim. Thank
1: you. Be well. You Bye-bye. Too.